in just like five days. Um, I'm, I'm the other half of the Jen and Luke DeMann couple. Um, all right, so we are kind of going a little bit out of order. Um, in your course guides, the two sessions we're going to cover today are sessions four and five. Um, so how can we have faith, and why and how do I pray? So what my plan is, is I want to introduce, I mean, I can talk for like four, like y'all dig in, we're going to talk for like five straight hours, lecture time on, on these two concepts. My hope is that I introduce a lot of interesting things for you guys to talk about in your groups, just sort of percolate some ideas. So just know that this is a, a lot of stuff. Um, I'm hoping that I just kind of get the juices flowing a little bit. So gonna gonna blaze through lots of different things. So we're gonna start with faith. How can I have faith? Um, and we're gonna talk about three concepts that help us build what our faith is. The first being the word of God, the second, uh, being the work of Jesus, and the third being the witness of the Holy Spirit, which should correspond with what's in your course guide as well. So let's backtrack. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. So I work at a software company. I am a software quality analyst. I work at Blackbaud, and that's fancy talk for I test software. It's what I do day in, day out. I've done this job for about five years. Um, I would be lying to you, just bald face lying to you, if I told you I loved my job every minute of every day that I've done it, that, that I do it. I, I don't. And I would imagine it's pretty much the same for you guys as well. You don't love your jobs all the time. Even if you have the most awesome jobs where it's like you just pet puppies all day, it's not, it's not awesome all the time, I promise you that. So what I want to talk about with the word of God is when people talk about their faith, sometimes they say, well, you know, I guess I'm a Christian. I'm not really sure. Some days I feel like I am. I'm not, uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. We don't do talk about like we don't talk about that or talk in those terms about our job. Just because I'm having a bad day at my job, I don't get to say, "Well, I guess I'm kind of a QA analyst." I mean, I don't know. I had a really stressful day. I don't know if I'm really into this at all. No, it's a, it's it's sort of a binary kind of thing. I'm either a QA analyst or I'm not. Same with our marriages. We don't necessarily say, "Well, I'm not really into my husband right now." I don't know if I'm. No, you you're married. You're just having a bad time. Um, we can take some hope in the fact that our faith is not dependent on how we feel. I want you to kind of reframe a little bit of maybe what you think about Christianity or think about faith. The faith is actually based on the promises God has made to you, and the first place that he makes these promises is in the Word of God, in the Bible. So, if you would like to turn in your Bibles to page uh, 912, to the very bottom of the first column there, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. I'll give you all a second. Revelation is a prophecy, is a, is a, is a prophetic vision. Um, and in this prophetic vision, in this particular chapter and verse, Jesus is talking to a church. And he says, here I am. I, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry. Oh. It is nine, bottom, very, very, very bottom of 912. Sorry about that. I, was, I did not wait for the flipping to stop. Uh, chapter 3, verse 20. So it's, um, I think I have the, the same translation you guys have. I apologize if I don't. Um, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. Let's let that kind of percolate there um, for a second. I find that very comforting in the scheme of faith that 
It's not about what I'm doing or how I feel or whether or not I'm doing well as a Christian, whether or not I'm going to all of the right things or anything like that. This is really one of the major promises that God makes to us is that I'm seeking you out and you can stand firm in your faith because I'm looking for you. I stand at the door and knock. And if you open the door, you can invite me in and I'll be with you. Um, the second, I'm not going to have you turn to it. Um, these particular verses are in your course guide as well. Um, so if you want to look them up in your groups, you can. But uh, the second promise that uh, is in the word of God is in Matthew 28, 20. Um, he, he promises that he will be with us always. So once he's invited in, we still have free will. He's not going to just like kick down the door and like barge his way in. Um, once he's invited in, he's with you always. Sorry to keep talking about work, but I think that one way that you can think about it is as we go through our faith journey, um, sometimes we feel distant, sometimes we feel very close. The promise God makes to us is that that distance doesn't necessarily matter to him. You can always get closer to him. It's like having a cube mate at work. Um, I could go days without talking to my cube mate. It's not a nice thing to do. I have done it. But at any time, he's a very nice guy. I can turn around and I can say, hi, good morning. What have you been up to? And he turns around and he says, not much. How are you? That might be a little bit of a simplistic metaphor, but I think that we forget that God is not necessarily interested in holding grudges in that way. He will be with us always. Um, again, this is a lot of just introducing these concepts. There's a lot more we can go into here. The third promise in the word of God is um, I give them eternal life. Uh, there's a citation here, uh, John 10, 28. Again, that's in your course guide. I won't make you turn to it. Um, you guys have talked about the resurrection, I believe, in the first week. Um, we, again, talk for four hours about that if we wanted to. But the promise of the resurrection and one of the things that we can build our faith in is that because he rose from the dead, we know, too, that we have the ability to also be raised to eternal life. Jesus promises that history is not meaningless. It's not merely cyclical. We're not destined to repeat the same failures over and over again. We're not destined to be separated forever from our loved ones, even loved ones that we maybe haven't talked to in a long time, even loved ones that were, our relationships with them have, have failed. Jesus promises that, it, that, that we can be restored. And a lot of the other things that we're concerned with, a lot of the other doubts we may have, the, the ways that we may feel bad or anxious about our faith, in this particular context don't matter because what I want you to take away from, from the word of God is that faith is about what God has done for you and not necessarily the other way around. It's not what you do for him. So I hope that is theologically sound. I am a QA analyst and not a Bible scholar. So there we go. <laughs> All right, so second thing that we can build our faith around is the work of Jesus. Um, starting to get a little bit into that when we talk about the resurrection. Um, if you ask me about how I know I'm a Christian, I can point to the resurrection of Jesus, just like I could point to my marriage certificate being evidence for my marriage. Um, I know that's a silly thing. If someone asks you if you're married, you just say you are. You're not like, ah, oh, here's my papers. I've got to prove it to you. Um, Let's turn to another scripture. Um, this, is at this is on page 840 in your Bibles, I hope. That's the page I wrote down. 
very top of the second column. This is in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. My grandmother passed away two years ago, and this was one of the last verses I read to her. And I remember her saying, I got a lot to think about. I'm going to think about this for a little while. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Or as some versions put it, the free gift of God. That's some versions put it as obviously the Holy Bible. That was something I added. So it's interesting when we talk about if we think about it as a free gift, the gift of God is, e- is eternal life. Some versions say free gift. I'm skeptical of free gifts. I am. It's always a catch. Always, I, And I, that's how I sometimes view God as well. It's like he's given me this free gift. He says that I have eternal life. So what do I need to do? What do I have to do to do this? Do I do it? Okay, I got to go like volunteer at the soup kitchen all the time, right? It's not bad to volunteer at the soup kitchen. You, you all should do that. Um, everybody should do that at least once. Um, there's always a catch. But God gives us this gift for free. It is a promise. Um, again, you don't have to turn to it. In 2 Corinthians, which is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that, it, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, lots of stuff to unpack in there, but pardon me for reading. Um, the Apostle Paul explains that Jesus lived a sinless life. He never did anything wrong. He was righteous in God's eyes. So nothing, no barrier between him or God, nothing. They were in perfect harmony with one another, perfect relationship. When Jesus took our sin on the cross, we essentially are now we are now able to access that very same relationship. We are able to say we can be in perfect, right relationship with God. When you hear the word righteousness, it's a very sort of like Christian-y, lingo-y word where people think that that means you don't smoke or cuss or whatever. Those things may follow, for sure. Um, But really what it means is like you can have that perfect, in-harmony relationship with God. So I just want to kind of leave that there for you that don't let those those semantic and language barriers get in the way for you. What God's really promising is right relationship. Oh, the verse for that one is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It is in your course guide. So if you look under the work of Jesus, it'll also be there as well. So anything that I don't give you the page numbers for, the citations are listed in the course guide. So this free gift that God offers we can receive it by repentance and by faith. If you remember back to the little first part of the talk about five minutes ago, um, where, I, where I read that passage from Revelation, if, you, if I knock and you invite me in, I'll come in. That's, that's part of how that works for us. We receive this free gift by allowing it to be, to, to, to be in our lives. Jesus is not going to kick down the door, but he will knock and knock and knock and knock until you open it. Um, repentance is a topic that you guys will cover in the Holy Spirit weekend, which I highly commend to you. That is a wonderful weekend to talk about those sorts of things. But in a nutshell, repentance means turning away from the bad stuff, the stuff that messes up your lives, the stuff that mess up your relationships with other people or mess up your relationship with God. Um, the faith part of that sort of equation simply means trust. Um, everybody you know, exercises trust in one way or another. Uh, you're exercising trust in the chairs that you're sitting in, that they're not going to break. 
silly example, but that is an example of trust. If you were married, you are putting your trust in the person that you married, that you're married to. Um, sometimes that trust breaks down, sometimes people are hurt, but that's one way of describing how you can have faith. Just imagine a true trust between you and, and between God. All right, so the talk, the third talk point I want to get into is the witness of the Holy Spirit. And this is one of those ones where, again, lots to talk about here, kind of some esoteric stuff. Um, but it's very important, especially as you guys are going to get into the Holy Spirit weekend, to talk about what that is. Um, so we talked about the metaphor of marriage. If I wanted to say that I'm married, I could say, well, I've got this marriage certificate. That's kind of a silly way of saying that you're married to somebody. Well, I have a marriage certificate. The state said it was fine, right? Like, we totally, we totally have a permit for this, you guys. Um, not exactly the best way of going about explaining marriage to somebody. But one way that you can explain it that makes a little bit more sense and is a lot less socially awkward is saying that you have the experience of marriage. Been married to Luke for seven years. He and I do stuff together all the time. We have joint bank accounts. We, you know, sleep in the same bed. You know, there's all these different things that you could say, like, this is what marriage means. He and I communicate. We eat dinners together. All, all of those things that point to exactly how marriage is. So if you ask me if I know I'm a Christian, I could say, Bible, got it. All the things that God said. Um, I could say, well, Jesus died on the cross and was buried, rose again. But the third missing component in that is, have I experienced God in my life? Have I encountered Jesus in any sort of demonstrable way? I would wager to guess that many Christians, and I know I was one like this for many years, could, couldn't really say that they did. Like, you go to church, maybe. I know some, a lot of people would say maybe they grew up in the church, but they never really, you know, it's just they never experienced it. So could they really even say that they were a Christian? Um, when we looked again at that verse from Revelation, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. So what happens? What experience do you have when Jesus comes into your life? Um, Paul writes about it in Galatians. Um, this, again, in the course guide. I uh, won't make you turn to it, but it's uh, chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that's one of the ways that you can know this. It's experiential, and you could say, okay, I've let Jesus into my life, and now things are different. Something is different about how I'm going about my life. Yes, I get in my car and I commute. Maybe I still cuss people out. Let's forget about that part. But then I feel really bad about it. Okay. Then days pass, and you say, okay, all right. I'm actually really worried about my work colleague where I never even thought about them before. I've been so in my head didn't even care, but now I'm, I'm, you know, maybe something's going on in their life. Maybe I should reach out. Or uh, I'm in the waiting room somewhere, and uh, I happen to notice that another guy has really cool socks. So I comment on his really cool socks and find out we like all the same literature. And, yeah, I'll probably never see him again, but imagine how, bright, how much brighter his day is. Or, I mean, it, you know, all of those things. Before I became a Christian, I became a Christian as, uh, in my mid-20s. Um, I was none of those things, like not a one. I don't even know why Luke married me, to be perfectly honest. That was kind of a joke. Um, and that's something that the experience of being a Christian is something that I don't 
think that I could really ever fully explain um, how that transformation happened. How does someone like me, who grew up in a very uh, not loving home, grew up to be very cynical, grew up to be very mean, how could I have turned such a corner? And that's not to say that I'm perfect by any means. I'm still a total hot mess. But to feel real love and real feelings, to like actually care about what other people are experiencing and want to be in a relationship with them, like that's not nothing. Um, and that's one of the ways that I can say that I have faith. To get back, kind of rein it back into the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit in a nutshell, is the spirit of Jesus. We invite, invite Jesus in. The Holy Spirit is his helper that comes along and is with you and sort of guides you through your life. Um, I know that sounds really, really sin and flurry, but it's kind of what it is. Um, all right, I have to tell you guys a story. This is not in your course guides, but we're going we're gonna to go down in the depths for a bit. So the first half of the story is here, and it's kind of dark. I promise we will get to the the light at the end of the talk. So um, I let on a little bit about my early life. I grew up in a uh, Shinto Buddhist household. Uh, my mother was Japanese. My father was a lapsed Baptist military man. Met my mother in Japan. Um, and my parents are quite, quite old. Um, they were, they're old enough to be my grandparents. So to kind of give you a generational aspect, I mean, my mother was born in 1940. So um, before my mother died uh, a couple years ago, I hadn't seen her physically in seven years, and we lived down the street from each other. Um, she told me that she not only didn't love me, but had never loved me and never wanted to speak to me or see me again. And for some reason, I kept calling. I kept calling. I kept trying to make amends for what I'm not 100% sure, um, but I, you know, I just felt I, I, I kept reaching out, kept reaching out. This time I was a very early sort of beginning Christian. I didn't really know anything, but I was coming to St. Paul's and uh, I just felt like I needed to, to keep reaching out to her. And I prayed a lot. I asked God, why, 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 why? Ask Jesus to fix it, please fix it. I'm gonna call her. When she picks up the phone, please don't have her scream at me. She would scream at me, hang up, tell me she didn't love me. This happened over and over again. So for a while I was very angry and I thought it was perhaps because I was doing something wrong or that I didn't have enough faith. But then in prayer one day, Jesus told me, and I'm not the kind of person that just like has like conversations with Jesus all the time. I'm not, I'm not good at that. Um, but Jesus said to me in words like, listen, I love you. I know you. I know everything about you. I know that when you sit in St. Paul's and you see all the kids stream into door hall from kids church, and you see the parents get so happy to see them. Sorry, I might cry, but um, see the parents get so happy to see them and give them big hugs that you can't even look at it because it's so beautiful. I know that you bought some really fly boots and you've been wearing them with every outfit and you love them. And I know that about you. I know that you happened to see a really cool moth on the door and you couldn't tell anybody about it because you forgot your phone. You couldn't take a picture of it. These are all the things that I know about you. I get you deeper than anybody has ever gotten you. I get you in ways your parents never got you, I love you, and I know you. And that's how, that's what faith is, Charlie Brown. So, all right. So, that was a lot. We're going to move into the next thing. 
why and how do I pray? This let's change course. All right, so in the course guide here, there's, um, let's see, this is session five, I believe. I commend to you the course guide for this particular section. There's a lot of really good information, a lot of good quotes. So Christian prayer, kind of hard to describe, but Ephesians 2.18, that is in the course guide, um, explains that it is the most important activity of our lives. Um, it kind of also outlines uh, a little bit about how you pray. I'll get into that um, a little bit later. The reason why it's the most important activity in our lives is because it is the way that we communicate with God. Um, I know that sounds probably a little bit uh, simple, but if Jesus is knocking at the door because he wants to get to know you and he wants to come in, how do you build a relationship? It's through communication, and that's one way that you can look at prayer, is it is the way that you communicate with God. One way that I think is helpful to think about it is if you have kids or if you've been a kid or you know somebody who has children, um, you know that you you're, you're kind of the omniscient in, in a child's life. I have an almost two-year-old Oscar, and for the most part, I'm well aware of what Oscar's getting into. Um, He's starting to get mischievous. He's starting to, you know, he doesn't realize sound carries yet, but he'll get into stuff. I'll hear drawers opening somewhere or whatever. Um, but even though I know what he's up to, I still like to hear him tell it to me. He doesn't have a lot of words yet, but I like to hear him just tell it. And I'm not saying, like, confess everything he's ever done. I just like to know. I just want to hear his take on things. I want to see what's how his brain's working. Not for nothing, that's why God refers to us as children a lot. It's the same. That's how he views us. It's not out of a sense of infantilizing us. It's more of a sense of, I just want to have that kind of relationship with you. Prayer is the way that we achieve that relationship. He just wants to hear you say it, you know? He just wants to hear you tell the story. He wants to know how, you're gonna, how you relate to your life and how you experience things. He already knows all those things. He just wants to hear you say it. Um, God also promises that, oh, let me backtrack. I skipped, a, I skipped another point, too. So um, in talking about why, sh why you should pray, obviously the communication, but also, too, Jesus prayed, which is really interesting. Like, if you think about it, Jesus is God, right? If we sort of follow the logic train laid out over the last couple of weeks about the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, doesn't it seem kind of strange that, that Jesus would need to pray? But he did. So we can take a take you know take that as an example that we also too should pray. God knows everything about us. Should we? But yes, that I mean Jesus set the example for us there. Um, Jesus assumes that you will pray, so he never says you know oh by the way you should pray. He says things like well when you pray this is how you should do it. Um, God also promises that there are rewards to prayer, not necessarily of a material variety, um, but definitely rewards. I will have you turn to this. This is on page seven, um, 874. This is another uh, letter. I believe Paul wrote this one. This is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. So that's 784. It's towards the bottom, but I didn't write what column it is towards the bottom of. Oh, 874. Sorry. Sorry about that. 874. I'm bad at numbers, y'all. And that's Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. 
So I'll read it out. Do not be anxious about everything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in, in Christ Jesus. And in my experience, that is definitely true. I know I have asked God for certain unreasonable requests because God does not violate our free will. Um, but if, I'm, if I feel like I am praying effectively, I don't know if that's necessarily the right way of thinking about it, but a lot of times it doesn't necessarily change the situation I'm in. It does a lot of the time, but it doesn't necessarily change the situation that I'm in, but it changes my feelings towards the situation that I'm in. I know that it's in God's hands. I know that God is taking care of it. I know that I don't have anything to fear. I think that is more important than necessarily be necessarily praying to a sort of a Santa Claus God about, you know, what it is you want to escape from. Um, I'll get a little bit more into that, too. So how and when do we pray? I'm kind of combining two topics here. So the model that Jesus left us is the Lord's Prayer, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, but if you want to look in your Bibles, this is in Matthew 6, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. In this particular translation, it's on page 721 in the middle of the first column. I would put a finger there because it's really interesting to read it in updated language rather than reading it in a kind of uh, the archaic sort of Shakespearean Elizabethan language that we're used to reciting it in. Um, when Jesus prays this prayer, it's in response to someone asking him, how do we pray? Um, so that one takeaway for, from this part of the talk that I want, want, to, want you to have is that the Lord's Prayer is great to memorize and it is great to pray, for sure. But it can also be looked at as a model for prayer, the structure of it, the way that Jesus talks to God the Father in that prayer. Um, so if you ever are just like, at wit's end, that's a, that's a really wonderful way to sort of like, you know, kind of get in there with prayer. Another way uh, that, you, that, that you can pray, I'm just going to leave you with a little, little bit of a, a tool here, um, an acronym called ACTS, and this is in your, um, on page 31 of your course guide, it's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Supplication just means request. Um, so that's another way that you can structure your sort of verbal prayers, whether they're in your head or um, spoken out loud. Um, we're just going to talk a little bit about confession, the, the confession part of prayer. So um, unconfessed sin, kind of a dirty word, sin, can be a barrier to the way that prayers are answered. Um, and I don't want to like, I don't want to scare anybody. Um, sin really just means anything that gets in the way of a relationship. So if I do something wrong, if I do something that uh, I know Luke would not be proud of or uh, whatever, I don't know, steal all the silver change out of his RTBT uh, bank, something like that, and I don't tell him, I'm going to be dodgy around him. I'm going to, I'm going to, hope he doesn't notice. I'm going to maybe try and come up with a plan to get some more silver change to put back in it because he only notices. Um, I know that's a silly example of sin, but that's, that's kind of how I look at it with God. Is God already knows I stole all the silver change out of his RTBT bank. Like, he, he knows. But 
I'm just not verbalizing it. Um, so many times I think our prayers can sort of be uh, requests to sort of rescue us from circumstances we cause all on our own. And that's kind of what I wanted, want, to, want to leave you with. What, whenever you see the C in that acronym ACTS for confession, it really just means like, you know there might be something up between you and God, something that you really haven't like spoken or said out loud. He's not going to smite you or anything, but that can be a barrier to, to prayer. It can be a barrier to how you communicate. It can really just kind of close things and lock things down. So um, maybe talk about that in your groups a little bit more, but that's, that's what that is. I didn't want to just leave that out there and be like, oh, and confess all your sins in your prayer. That's really w what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at there. Also, too, this is something I, I apologize for not pulling the um, scriptural citation out of, but when you are praying, you don't necessarily need to know or be able to articulate your prayers. Your prayers can come out of a place of pain or just like unar unarticulatable beauty or whatever. The Holy Spirit will help you with that as well. You don't necessarily need to pray in words. You just need to, you know allow it to happen. So don't think that it all has to be language. Don't think it necessarily even all has to be words. It can be art. It can be journaling. There's lots of different ways to have that communication open with God. Um, also, too, to, under the umbrella of when to pray, um, God says that we should pray at all times, both alone and together. You can pray silently. You can pray out loud. Um, I would, I would um, ask you guys to talk maybe a little bit more in your groups about that what your experience with prayer is or what you think the, what your notions of prayer are. Um, there's a lot of different ways that people go about it. I know my mother-in-law, she has this really interesting like journal she keeps and it's just these drawings. She just sort of draws and these beautiful things like flowers and all kinds of stuff happen. Um, it's really, really quite beautiful. So just think about that for a little while. Could be musical. All right, so here's the meat of, of the prayer part is does God always answer prayers? Short answer is yes. However, he may not always answer affirmatively, and he may not always answer right away. So I have to tell you the rest of the story from before. Talk a little bit about my experience with prayer. So I've been praying a lot about this and about my mother and why all these things were happening. I happened to be at St. Paul's on a Wednesday night playing as a musician for a night of healing prayer. And I'd left my phone backstage. And uh, when I was done playing or whatever, sat here, prayed about my mom, whatever, you know, kind of cynical and kind of skeptical. But at this point, I was like, God's not answering me. I get back to my phone, and I have about 20 missed calls, which is uncharacteristic for me because I'm not very social. So all these calls are from my dad, from my brother, um, from my dad, from my brother again, from random other people, and all of them are like, are you coming to the hospital? Are you coming to the hospital? That is not a, you know, voicemails you want to get or texts you want to get. Um, turns out my mother had been admitted to the hospital that day. Um, she had a very, very, very rare form of leukemia brought on by a really rare virus that is endemic in Japan. And she'd had it her whole life and didn't know, and it just turned into this leukemia. So she had gone to the, the doctor that day, and the doctor was like, you are going to the hospital. Spoiler alert, three weeks later, she would actually die from this disease. It was super aggressive. I remember 
in one of the times that I had prayed about my mom that I got a vision during prayer. And I was actually praying with Gary's sister-in-law, Linda, Sue's sister. Um, I don't, I'm not, I'm pretty pragmatic. I'm pretty skeptical most of the time, full of doubts all the time. But I got a vision. I can't deny it. I promise you guys I'm not nuts. But um, I got this vision that me and my family, my broken family, were all together at a big, long table, and we were eating this meal, this beautiful meal. And at the head of the table was Jesus, wearing flannel. Don't know why. Plaid flannel. That's, you know, what happened. And we were just having a blast. It was a great time. This scene had never really happened in my family, so there's no reason for me to have thought it. But for the, for the longest time, for years, I thought that this was going to happen, that some reconciliation was going to happen. And here I am getting a call that my mom's in the hospital, and it's terminal. There's no hope for this scene to occur. So I go to the hospital. Um, it's quite obvious it's not going to be long. Um, and at the time, I was actually pregnant with my son, so I was barred from even visiting her for long periods of time. So I was keeping up with all of this over the phone. My dad called me one evening, and of course I was like, oh gosh, you know. So he calls, and he tells me, I just have to tell you something that your mom wrote down. She lost her ability to speak. Her nerves were all out of whack. Um, so she had been jotting down these notes in a little notebook, and she's, you know, just random things about, like, did you remember to feed the dog? Most of them were pretty logistical. But she had written down something, and my dad thought it so noteworthy that he called me up and said, what do you make of this? She had written, I really wish we could get together and have one last big feast together. And I immediately hung up on my dad because just waterworks. Um, So there's a lot I don't know. I can't answer questions about why this suffering happened or why Ebola or you know, if God's omniscient, then how come all these bad things happen? These are, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm not a theologian. But what I do know is that that message was for us. And it wasn't necessarily the story about me. In that moment, I know that my, that there is hope of reconciliation for my, for my family still, even though my mom is dead that somehow Jesus is going to restore that and there's going to be that feast, that that vision was not meant for now, and that's okay, but that that prayer was answered. So I don't really have any closing comments other than that. Um, Talk to your groups a little bit um, about how all this works. I mean, I've probably left you with more questions than answers, but I think that that's, that's how I know I can have faith and that's how I know prayer works. Thank you guys for having me.